Iris Barnes. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity this morning on a morning that you ordained from eternity past to your glory for our edification as members of the body of Christ. Father, thank you for the privilege of gathering together to fellowship this way, to break bread, the very bread of life that is the Word of God. What an incredible meal you've got planned for us this morning, Father. We're just so very grateful for your grace, your mercy, and of course your love and your unerring faithfulness to us. Father, we pray for those that can't be with us this morning, that earnestly desire to be here, that you heal them and bring them back to the fold. As soon as possible, your will be done. We also pray for those in this world that are lost. What a desperate place to be, Father. We just ask that before it's too late, they be reconciled to you and that we might have additional family members with us for all of eternity. Father, we're most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work to cancel out that debt and to make a morning of rejoicing like this one a reality for all of us. We just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the Lord is our confidence, part 59. Our pivot has been this up here on the board, if you've been following along. Our pivot really has been this. Sanctification is a function of obedience. Sanctification is a function, with emphasis uh, for our purposes this past few weeks, emphasis on a function. Sanctification is a function of obedience. Um, more practically stated, so much of our sanctification is a function of how we live our lives. And so we got real practical this last week. Go to Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2 verse 12. We got real practical this past week, which is exactly what the Spirit ordered. He usually does. He never lets us go with just a healthy dose of doctrine. He always mandates that we apply it to our own lives, that we learn what sanctification looks like in light of the new knowledge that we've been given. Um, he just doesn't want us to uh, try to escape the convicting ministry uh, of God the Holy Spirit. So Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Up here on the board, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I borrowed this from uh, Pastor John MacArthur. It means to continually work to bring something to fulfillment or completion. And so you see this ongoing progressive nature of working out your own salvation. And it is a command for us. I think there, uh, obviously there are people in this world that just think, I'm just going to let go and let God. I'm just going to you know, live my life. And if God wants to change me, then so be it. If not, I'm just going to show up. And the Spirit has a lot to say about that proposition. It means to continually work to bring something to fulfillment or completion refers to a believer's responsibility for active pursuit of obedience. You see that? Isn't that beautiful? Active pursuit of obedience in the process of sanctification. Active pursuit of obedience in the process of sanctification. Again, up here on the board, sanctification is a function of obedience. A function of obedience. We don't sanctify ourselves, but we have a play, if you would. We have a role in the underpinning of sanctification, which is 
actively pursuing obedience. That's our role. That's our role, to actively obey, to pursue obedience. So to work something out is to obey. However, here's the crux of this morning's message. So if you really want those candies, this is where you start paying attention. To work something out is to obey because that's a command. Did we not just see that? Yep. However, you have to be present. And in my notes here, I have that in quotes. You have to be present. You're all present here, right? I, you know, if I ran out there and said, hey, you know, you could feel I could touch you, but don't worry, I'm not going to do that. But are you present? You're all physically here, but are you present? That's the crux of this morning's message. So I just want you to concentrate. I'm going to string a few things together. It's by grace we are sanctified. Hold that thought. It's by grace, the grace of God, that we are sanctified. We don't sanctify ourselves. Working out our own salvation means partaking in our own sanctification. It means to partake in it. It doesn't mean we do the heavy lifting. It just means that we have a part in it. Partaking in our own sanctification implies obedience, as we just learned. Obedience implies being present. Does that make sense? Obedience implies being present. You know, mind, body, soul. Let's put it that way, if you want to think of it that way. Not just body. Not just some, you know, mentality where you're hearing, like kids get really good at, especially in the adolescent stages of life when they're not listening and you're trying to tell them something, but yet still somehow they have this skill that they can regurgitate. Right? They really, my, my son, actually both of you guys are pretty good at it. Both of my sons are pretty good at it. They could regurgitate. It's not like I have a lecture, you guys. <laughs> That's like the big joke. Oh God, here we go. All I asked was about popcorn, Dad. You don't have to tell me how it pops in the kernel and the chemistry happens. <laughs> you have to be present, though. That's the whole point. So obedience implies being present. I want to give you an example to drive this home. We parents are commanded to raise our children up in the faith. It's the great command as a parent. It's not even... The, it's not strictly speaking just, oh, I'm going to hug them and cuddle them and let them know that they're loved. and all. No, our job is to raise them up in the faith. That's our primary role as a parent. Love will work itself out because they have to fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want that kind of love between that you have with Christ, you have to teach them about Christ. And then, just like in marriage even, you meet at Christ. The very best love is with Him. And so you teach your child to meet you also at Christ. That's the whole point. That's your great job. Go to Proverbs 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, verse 6. In, in some ways, and I'm not suggesting you test this out, but in some ways you could fail in just about every other way. But if you bring them up in the faith, you've done the great thing in their life. Do you understand? Proverbs 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, 6 reads, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. In other words, what greater gift is that that you can give a child? Long after they're out of the house and out of your, the realm of your control, they're still living in Christ. They're still in the faith. What a wonderful gift that is. How about Ephesians 6, 4? Ephesians 6, verse 4. I think as parents, it's easy to focus on our, our own love for our children. Not that it's not real. But the reality is, if, if I was to choose right now that my two boys had to make a choice, love me or love Christ, 
um, I would choose they love Christ. I'd rather they don't even like me than love me if they love Christ. It's not my job to have them love me in the absence of Christ. It's my job to train them up so that they love Christ, even over me. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but do this. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Again, parents are commanded to raise children up in the faith. How do we obey this command to raise our children up in the faith if we aren't present? And you know what I mean? Again, I have quotes. I hope you understand. I'm just going to use that. When I do this, it means mind, body, soul. Okay, It means being present in their lives. How do we obey this, these commands that we just saw to raise up our children in the faith if we're not present? If we just sort of swing in, you know, the revolving front door nowadays, we just sort of swing in, you know, we're physically there, but we're not there. How do we raise them up in the faith if we're not there? How do we suppose anyone can do such an incredible thing as raising a child as an absent parent. Some of my least favorite memories as a father are those times when I was physically around my boys, but absent in spirit. In other words, when I wasn't present, when I wasn't there, and there's times I think about right now that I was with them, but not with them. Up here on the board, the point is this. Present, but not present. Present, but not present. It is entirely possible and sadly very common to be physically present while somewhere else in our heads. That is, present, but really absent. And children especially sense this. And some of you know what I'm talking about, not even as a parent, but as a child. Saying my, my relationship with one of my parents or both of my parents, there was something missing. There was a connection missing. Again, it's entirely possible and sadly very common to be physically present while somewhere else in your heads that is present but really absent. And children especially sense this. So I was thinking about that. I ask you to reflect with me. Think deeply now about what it is you really want whenever you spend time with those you love the most. What is the thing that you really want more than anything? when you're with the ones you love the most? Is it their money? I hope not. Is it the gifts they can give you? I hope not. Is it the places they can bring you or the, the trips they can bring you on? I hope not. Is it any of that? No. It's none of it. Isn't it intimacy? More generically, isn't it connection? Isn't it? We build, um, we have, and I'm not, I'm, I'm going to leave that alone because I don't want anybody to get offended, but let me just say, um, let me say it this way. Some of you know I built a house back in the day for my family, and it was, it was a good-sized house, right? And it was funny, it went, it got about 150% bigger when I built the other side. So we, I built this little side that all four of us lived in, and then I built this, this other side that, like, 150% increased the size of the square footage by, like, 150%. And I remember saying, um, we, were, we were tighter, closer, knit as a family in the little side. Because it, 
there was an intimacy there. It was kind of, you know, like we, 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 there was no escape. And sometimes that's not good, right? The same, right? Sometimes you want to escape, but you can't. But you know what I'm saying? Overall, being knit that close together, uh, there was an intimacy there and a connection. I'll ask you this. What's love without intimacy, but merely a word? What's love without intimacy, but merely a word? And I'm not talking about sex or cuddling or any of that garbage. I'm not saying sex is garbage, you know what I'm saying. You have to drop your training from the world system right here and right now. Love is not sex, that's for damn sure. I'm talking about someone else being present for you. I'm talking about you saying to yourself right now, what is it that I want the most when I'm with those I love the most? I just want them to be present with me. I want to have, at least for a time, their undivided attention. I want to know that we're connected. When we love someone, our hope is that we share a bond between us that is intimate. Loving someone and never having access to them. For example, if they're you know, n- never present, is like a form of torture. Loving someone and never having access to them is like a form of torture. And I think a lot of children suffer this growing up nowadays. Why? Because parents are just too busy being preoccupied with their own lives. Selfishness is the, the way of life now. Everybody does it, right? Live selfishly. Everybody does it that way, so who's going to raise an eyebrow? The problem is, the problem is that the kids are suffering. And we're supposed to be raising them up in the faith. We're supposed to be the very image of Christ. We're supposed to convey, especially to little ones, Christ's love. How do you do that if you're too preoccupied with your own selfish lives? How can we do that for anyone? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you lived that as a child. Mom or dad was too busy doing something else. Go to any public place and what do you see? Kids attempting. It's heartbreaking to watch this. I, can't, I have to walk through public places, especially restaurants, or places that, you know, breaking bread in the Bible was a place of intimacy. People got together and ate. You see Jesus eating with people. Why? Because that's supposed to be a meeting place, right? Where people were intimate with each other and shared, and there was a connection there with the person across from you, the person next to you. Go to a restaurant nowadays where you see a family. Kids are attempting. It breaks my heart. They are attempting to engage with their parents, and the parents are on their smartphones. And I was thinking about it. It's pretty ironic because they're really dumb. Get it? They're on their smartphones, but they're really dumb. That's not the title, so you're not getting candy for that. (laughs) Present but not present. It is entirely possible up here on the board and sadly very common to be physically present while somewhere else in our heads. That is present but really absent. Children especially sense this. Am I judging anyone? Not at all. I've probably failed, God knows, more than I've succeeded as a parent. If you've been a child who suffered at the hands of, quote, absent parents, you know what the Spirit's driving at here. And, to be fair, we are all children, right? Everyone here had parents, otherwise you wouldn't be here. I mean, that's no extra charge. (laughs) Right? We're all children. So let's turn the table now. Also, let's cover all bases, in other words. Are you present as a child with your parents? Are you present with your parents, or do you take them for granted? 
Do you take them for granted? Do you give them the love and respect that they deserve? Or are you hardly ever present for them? It goes two ways, doesn't it? Are you hardly ever present for them? Hmm. On that note, let's bring this back to where this principle matters most. We are children of God, are we not? Imagine the love he has for us. It's unfathomable, right? So imagine when we show up but aren't present with him. He's always present, but imagine when we show up, you know, say like right now or something. I don't know. We'll talk about it in a moment. Imagine when we show up, we aren't present with him. Imagine being here right now and your mind is somewhere else. Are you present but really absent? Or imagine reading your Bible as if it were a chore. Are you present but really absent? Or imagine laying down at night and you you know, say your prayers, but only as a function of routine. Are you present, but really absent? Consider the infinite love that God has for you. And then consider those times where he's present and you aren't. Consider those times when he's present and you aren't. Some of you as parents know exactly what I'm saying in a smidgen of a way. Where you spend some time, what's supposed to be quality time with your kids, and they're on their stupid smartphones, or they're distracted, or they're preoccupied with their own selfish desires. They don't really care about what you have to say. They don't really care about what's going on in your life. They don't even ask, as a matter of fact. You see what I'm saying? Imagine that's us. That's us with God. God's ever-present and infinitely loving. And we're like, maybe I'll show up. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll take the whole day off from God today because I'm feeling a little selfish. Hmm. And his love is intimate and infinite. This, my friends, is the point the Spirit's making here this morning It's on the topic of being present. You understand? It's impossible to be present if you're disobedient. So here's the rubber hits the road. It's impossible to be present if you're disobedient. We are commanded to love each other or love others. However, love cannot be merely a word. We must be present in order to genuinely express it. Let it sink in. It's impossible to be present if you're disobedient. And I'm talking about with God or for God or his purposes. We are commanded to love others. However, love cannot be merely a word. We must be present in order to genuinely express it. Where is that true more than with our relationship with God How do we say that we love Christ, let's say, but we're never present? We just show up. Yeah, we go to church. Yeah, we kind of, you know, we read our Bibles, but, you know, it's like kind of like, oh, I guess I got to read my, oh, I guess I got to read my Bible. Oh, I guess I got to go to church. Oh. With that kid who has a perfect parent who shows up, loves this child infinitely, wants nothing more, has done everything by grace to reconcile this alienated child back to him by grace, and the child shows up and goes, "Mm, meh. Mm. I'll reiterate that family, the family construct that I mentioned earlier, is hardly the only place where presence is an imperative. 
We are commanded to love others as a general rule of life. We're commanded to love others as a general rule of life. And even more specifically, we are to express our love towards our brothers and sisters in Christ even more so. I want to bring back our opening passage, namely up here on the board, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It means to continually work to bring something to fulfillment or completion refers to a believer's responsibility for active pursuit of obedience in the process of sanctification. To work something out is to obey. However, you have to be present. You have to be present. Here's the string of pearls the Spirit gave us at the start of this message. It's by grace we are sanctified. Working out our own salvation means partaking in our own sanctification. Partaking in our own sanctification implies obedience, and obedience implies being present. Again, our pivot point has been this up here on the board. Sanctification is a function of obedience. I want to add a little more color to this now from Wednesday's message. We are commanded to be present for others, especially those of the faith. Go to Galatians 6, verse 10. Galatians 6, verse 10. The Spirit's kind of... I like when he uses the adolescent example because they are really experts at regurgitating. They show up, right? They'll show up, and if mom and dad says, hey, we've got to go here for Easter or here for, you know, so-and-so's birthday, they show up, they're physically there, but they're actually not really there. They might even be able to regurgitate things. That's what the Spirit says. Don't be that person with the holy God of the universe who loves you. Don't just show up as a form of religion and be able to regurgitate Scripture, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hallelujah! What does that mean to you? I have no idea. Right? Big deal. You can quote Scripture. Satan will bury you. And he's evil. Hmm. Again, sanctification is a function of obedience. Galatians 6.10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we have a specific there. So, think of it this way. The Spirit, so far even, in the first half an hour of this message, the Spirit for our own good. That's a focal point this morning. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the one who loves you more than you can possibly imagine, for your own good has asked us all to take a big step back and ask one very simple question. What is, up here on the board, what is your attitude towards obedience? Because, my friends, this is the whole point. Your very sanctification depends on it. Are you pursuing obedience? In other words, here's obedience, and you're now a doorbell, which might be an increase in IQ for some of you. Right? Are you pursuing, or do you want it this way? You want obedience to pursue you. You follow what I'm saying? Are you pursuing obedience? Or are you trying to run away before it catches you? Which one's you? That's between you and the Lord. What is your attitude about obedience? Do you pursue it to bring glory to God? Or do you have a sense of oppression from it? And you're trying to escape it and find all the loopholes like a little attorney, like a mini Satan. Because remember, that's what hasatan means. It means attorney, accuser, right? That's when you start accusing God for being oppressive. <gasps> How dare you have that bald guy teach that lesson? I have my own ideas about life. Uh, the creator wrote this. You know, the creator of your life. 
You're not your own maker. You're not your own creator. You're not even your own. It's, your life isn't even your own. You've been purchased out of the slave market. Be grateful you're not going to hell. How about that? How about every possible command given to you was by grace to sanctify you? So what is your attitude about obedience? That's between you and the Lord. You might say, well, I know I'm supposed to be obedient. <laughs> Isn't that enough? Not really. Up here on the board. An obedient mindset. Our minds must be fixed on obedience as a way of life. Fixed on it. It can't be a laundry list that we fix on an hour on a Sunday. Okay, I'm going to go going to church. Mm-hmm, going to church, going to church, hallelujah. Maybe we're going to sing, maybe not. But I'm going to go there, I'm going to go there for like an hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes. That's my fixation on obedience. The other 23 hours of my life are mine. I stake a claim to this life. It's mine. What do you think God has to say about that? What do you think about the, the Redeemer who purchased that life on the cross for you? What are you going to say to him when you meet him? Yeah, I don't have any problem with what I did. You know, look him right in the eyes and say, I have no problem with what I did. I took 23 for me and gave you one. On Sundays, nonetheless. Only! Or I gave you that. Come on, come on! I gave you the 10 minutes in the morning when I read my Bible like this. I'll just listen to it in the car. And I'll put it on in the car and I'll be like, okay, okay. I'll listen to the car. Oh, shoot. Oh. I got my bagel sticking out of my face. Cream cheese. Yeah, you're really listening to the Bible. That, mm. Are you going to face, you're going you're gonna to square shoulder to shoulder with the Lord, your Lord and Savior, your Redeemer. And that's satisfactory for you. If that's your mindset, um, I'm going to just keep on teaching. And hopefully you learn. That's my prayer. Our minds must be fixed on obedience as a way of life not merely a laundry list of checkboxes. Yes, there's a difference. The prior is the sphere of sanctification. The latter is religion. There's a difference. And it makes all the difference in the world. Take all that the Spirit's been teaching us over the past few months in this series and funnel it on top of that. Imagine a grain hopper. You know what a grain hopper is? You know, all the grain that kind of just comes out the bottom. And all our key principles being poured onto the point on the board right now. What the Spirit's saying is that for sanctification to take place the way God intends it, we must be all in. You have to be all in. You have to show up. Is it fair to say that in God's faithfulness, He shows up every day? I think so. How about us? This is a relationship, is it not? Right? I mean, we might say even like, uh, if you do choose to have children, shouldn't you show up for your child? Shouldn't you be all in for that child? Shouldn't your needs take a back seat, even your desires and your wants now take a back seat? Or are you going to go the way of the world? And then vice versa. If your parents are putting food and shelter and, and they're raising you up in the faith, shouldn't you show up? Shouldn't you? And that's, that's earthly. Imagine the, the relationship we have with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He shows up perfectly. No parent can say that. He says, I want to sanctify you. I love you. I want the very best for you. I want you to understand that obedience, pursuing obedience instead of running away from it, looking for loopholes, 
is a beautiful thing. We can't be posers who show up to church and expect our physical presence to constitute actual presence. God can see right now that while some of you truly are present and it's beautiful, I can see it in your countenance, by the way. I would, I'm not going to stare at anybody around because somebody's like, is he staring at me? For the, what, what does he see? Right? <laughs> Let's just say I'm, I'm built up, I'm like edified, and sometimes I'm broken. Let me put it that way. Depends on where I'm looking. I'm dying, like, oh! Oh, that's too funny. Some of you are truly present, while others of you have been barely here. He can see your hearts, and he's using this pulpit as a grace gift to inform you that the attitude that's had you barely here is the very reason why your sanctification has been stunted. And this comes at a great cost to you personally. That's the point. It's not about me and you. You understand? It's not about how well you listen to this man's voice. I'm just a vessel. I could be gone tomorrow. It's about what you think about the Word of God, what you think about your relationship with Christ. What's your attitude? Because it's a great cost to you personally. I want to challenge your perspective on this now. You can't just say, well, I know I'm supposed to be loving others, you know, supposed to be living for others. That seems to be the, the lever that the Spirit's been using in this, this series, right? What's the litmus test? Love, uh, living for others, that kind of a thing. So you can't just say, well, it sucks for all the others who I'm supposed to be living for. Maybe even if it's my own children, let's say. My point on that is it sucks for you. Jesus Christ said it's more blessed to give than to receive, did he not? What do you think he was talking about? When you have a bad attitude about obedience, life sucks for you. That's the point. I want you to concentrate. The Spirit's got me teaching you about obedience not for the sake of others, not even God, strictly speaking, although he's glorified, but for you. For you. It's not because there are, you know, chores to do around the house of God. And if you don't do them, someone else has to. Is that a good thing? No, but that's not the point this morning. Or someone else goes without somehow. It's not about that. So listen up. It's not about what isn't being done in others because of your absence. In other words, you're being present but not present. It's about what's not being done in you. It's about what's not being done in you. When you're absent, your sanctification suffers. When you're absent, your sanctification suffers. When you choose to be somewhere else, and it is an active, daily, moment-by-moment -moment choice. You are actually hurting yourself. That's the point. When you choose to be somewhere else, and this is a moment-by-moment -moment decision, are you present? You know, have you ever done that before? You've gotten in front of somebody, and you realize you're the one that's not present. You kind of snap out of it. You're like, oh, sorry, I wasn't there. I'm back, I'm back. Right? It's a moment-by-moment -moment thing. And don't live in the past and be like, oh, I'm just a train wreck. I'm just going to give up on the whole thing. No. Yesterday's gone, right? You can live right now. You can make better choices about this starting right now. And when you do, you're hurt less. The Spirit's trying to deliver you from the world's viewpoint about blessings and goodness and such. Remember the world says... Do whatever you got to do to get yours. Is that not the mantra nowadays? Yeah. Isn't that what pop and urban culture is all about today? I'm going to get mine, so get yours. 
I want to see sweat coming up the pores. Nobody? CC Music Factory? That is old stuff. <laughs> it's funny, but it's not funny. The problem with that mindset is that it lands you on a vector that points right back to where you came from, spiritual death. Living for self is the antithesis of God's will for you. God's will is for you to live in the sphere of grace and love, and as a result, to enjoy His peace, the peace that Christ promises. And again, here's how this works. We saw this on Wednesday. The way grace works, we are sanctified when we are gracious towards others. That's it. That'll never happen if you don't get out of your own way. I think you mentioned that in the blog. If you don't get out of your own way, and to that blog, for most of you who have been through this, it's agonizing. I know for a fact that some of you are not there. I shouldn't say for a fact. I have very strong discernment. Right? My prayer is that you don't shrink away to your own destruction. When the time comes to go through, say what Tammy went through 10 years ago or what have you, when the time comes you have to go through that, that you push through it. And I'm going to tell you right now, it is... Uh, if you, don't, all right, if you don't mind losing fingernails in the process because you're white-knuckling the old self, the old life, if you don't mind that, you'll probably be fine. <laughs> you might lose a few teeth because you're bitten, you know. You got it like this. Sorry, I almost, I almost bit Joey with these teeth. Right? If you don't mind losing any teeth and, and fingernails and everything else, you'll probably be fine. But for the rest of us, giving up the self-life, it's not easy. It takes a lot of work, and it's agonizing. And you are going to go a hell of a lot lower than you've ever been before he brings you up. And that is Holy Scripture. Read, I think it's 1 Peter. He's going to bring you low before he brings you up. Before he exalts you, he's going to humble you. So you can't play the game. That's the point. You have to give that self-life up. Don't make the mistake of thinking God's trying to rob you of anything, of any real value. The Bible says he desires to bless you. Go to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. It's the funniest thing. We just keep going as, you know, as it is. We look to our left and our right, and we're like, well, this is how my neighbors do it, and look how happy they are. Yeah. I think I can survive this thing. I'm not miserable, but I'm not super happy. That doesn't sound like what God wants for you at all, does it? Yeah, God, that sounds like just like what a loving God wants. I just want you to run the middle of the, middle of the road. How about that? You won't be too miserable. You won't be really happy. How about that? Does that sound like what God wants from a father that loves his children? Middle of the road. Shoot for the middle of the road. That's what I'm shooting for as your father. No, read the Bible. It's nothing like that. Elevate. Way up. Transcendent life. Zoe life, if you've ever heard of that term. It's transcendent life. Way up there. That's what God wants for his children. As parents, that's what we should want for our children, which is why we do everything possible to raise them up in the faith. 1 Corinthians 2.9, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows? A person's thoughts, except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. 
that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we might impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. That's what's happening this morning. Trust me when I say I'm filled with the Spirit. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person, an unbeliever, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. It's interesting because if we think about Christ and his mind and the word, Christ never suffered the maladies that you do as a result of living in certain lies from the world. Christ never suffered those things. What I've been teaching you here this morning, a.k.a. the mind of Christ, is completely antithetical to world thinking. Completely antithetical to world thinking. The world tells you to get yours. If there's any leftover, those in your periphery, Maybe they enjoy it, maybe they don't. I don't know. I don't care because I'm too busy getting mine. And that has permeated families even. The other thing he's had me teaching you this morning is that we can't just take a message like this one as merely academic. We must truly take what the Spirit's been saying to heart. And just as a side note, I'll share what I see, and I kind of alluded to this earlier. The most mature folks in this congregation, or any congregation that's doing its job, hear a message like this and are lockstep. They might say something like, oops, this is a great reminder. Thank you, God, the Holy Spirit. I've been kind of like, you know, drifting a little bit. They hear about obedience, and they say, oh, yes, amen. However, the less mature hear a message like this one, and it hardly sinks in, due to the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitful... Do you remember our last series? 70-something parts, I think it ended up being? On the deceitfulness of sin. Why was it so long? Because sin is insidious. It's not that easy. It doesn't just go, la, 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 here I am. No. It's in your cells. Do you understand what I'm talking about here? You can't see it the way you think you see it. It's not that kind of enemy that hits you frontal assault. It's got you so tricked and so fooled, it's part of you. You think sinful and don't even realize it. That's how ingrained it is. This is why you can spend all that time with unbelievers and have no problem. Not be like, like, like a cheese grater is scraping over your body. You're like, I have no problem with this at all. Why? You answer it. Read scripture. I think it's 2 Corinthians, I forget, 4, somewhere in there. What fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship does Christ have with Belial, the devil? Zero. So if you have no, there's no friction between you and an unbeliever spending all this time and fellowshipping and gathering, you know, carrying on and you're not trying to evangelize them. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. That's the deceitfulness of sin. I said another weird analogy. You want to hear it? Okay, good. I'm going to say it. <laughs> Remember going to the beach as a kid? If you haven't, I'm sorry. But you go to the beach, right? And mom's like, put on some sunscreen. I'm good. You go like eight hours, you're like, Pfft. You go home, you're like, oh. right? That's you after 10 years of living in sin. Oh, no, don't burn right now. Eventually, you're going to roast. Eventually, you're going to have scar tissue. You're going to be all messed up. You're like, oh. That's the insidiousness of sin. You don't even feel it in, in many ways. Doesn't the nice bright sun feel good when you're bouncing in the waves? 
Like, oh, this is great. It feels good out here. Yeah, you're getting roasted. Same thing with sin. You don't realize that you're getting roasted. These kind of lessons are favors. Especially to younger people. These, these, these messages are, are favors to you. Anyways, <clears throat> the less mature I hear a message like this, and due to the deceitfulness of sin, it hardly sinks in. Hence my bringing up the following verse. I think I brought this up on Wednesday, up here on the board. But exhort one another every day. It's what I'm doing right now. As long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So just as a side note there, the point was twofold. This message is completely antithetical to world thinking. And number two, we can't just take this message as merely academic. For any of us to be sanctified, we must understand how grace works. We are sanctified by grace, are we not? You bet. But here's a recurring practical principle up here on the board. The way grace works. We are sanctified when we are gracious towards others. I brought this up on Wednesday. Grace has to flow through us. That's the point of grace. God pours it into us. We pour it out. It's, and we're blessed by that happening. What does the world say? Hey, give me more stuff. I'll put my arms around it. Right? Give me more grain, I'll just big, build a bigger barn. Sound familiar? Right? Gimme, gimme, gimme. It's all about me. I want more, 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 more money without spending. Nobody? That's bad, isn't it? Todd made me watch that back in the day. Right? That's what the world teaches us. It's all about us. We idolize guys like Bill Gates who, as far as I know, is going to rot in hell. I don't want that for him. I don't say that punchy either. I'm sad about him. It makes me weep. What's even sadder is billions of people idolize that moron. Why? Because he created a piece of software? That's why we idolize these people? We idolize people that can play people that aren't even themselves? What? That's who we idolize? People who are actors and actresses? Who, who their job is actually to be somebody else? Rappers who tell you to get yours? That's not how grace works. It's not about getting yours. It's about grace flowing through you. That's the great blessing. Some of you are like, I get it, I get it, this is awesome. But before we all sing Kumbaya, my Lord, I want to qualify the meaning of grace here. Let's read Jesus' words again. Go to Luke 17, 7. Luke 17, verse 7. Before we get all excited, before we overshoot, let's put it that way. Luke 17, verse 7. I hope you're encouraged by this, by the way. Some of you are not going to be encouraged. Some of you are not going to be strictly encouraged per se because you're being convicted. That should, that should still be fundamentally encouraging, that God cares enough about you to give you a message like this, to speak just plain with you. Luke 17, verse 7. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep Say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? As a rhetorical no. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, this is the pursuit of obedience, right? After you've done all that, after you've pursued obedience to the end, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So <laughs> what the Spirit's saying here is, listen, don't just 
Say, I am pursuing obedience. Pat me on the back. That's what you're supposed to be doing. You're a slave to the great master. You're a sheep to the great shepherd. You don't, that's not where you look for your blessings. You don't, you don't need an attaboy. Do you know what an attaboy is? Attaboy. You don't need that. As soon as you, as soon as you jettison that from your life, I, I'm almost like, I don't want to hear that sometimes. I, I love appreciation. Someone expresses appreciation. That's great. I don't get it the way apparently Tammy gets it, but whatever. I like it when I get my measly little, you know, kernel now and then. <laughs> Not bitter. Right? But I don't need attaboys. I don't need an attaboy. I'm just grateful. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but you get the point. I'm grateful to be able to serve somehow. You mean you want me to serve you? You mean I have the incredible privilege of being your servant? You're going to let me? You went to the cross to purchase me, first of all, so I wouldn't be a slave to evil, but now I'll be a slave to you. You did that thing for me. I couldn't get here without you. You did that for me. This is a privilege. This is a privilege to be here right now. What do you want? What do you want? That's the attitude that Jesus is talking about. That's probably not the attitude of the average young believer. Encouragement doesn't have to come in a package and add a boy. That's the point. It comes in realizing that you are what you are by the grace of God. Does that make sense? You're not looking for rewards. You've already got it. You're expressing your appreciation for that reward for being saved. That's why we can never forget the gospel. We can never forget what was done for us on the cross. As soon as we depart from that, we lose it. You understand? We begin drifting. We all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we, we find ourselves needing attaboys. We find ourselves wanting that all the more. And we become hypersensitive to any kind of criticism even. Why? Because now we're dependent on someone else's opinion. You should just be grateful you had the opportunity to show up this day and do anything to His glory. Amen? That's the point. That's the whole point. Consider that passage in light of what's on the board. We are sanctified when we are gracious towards others. So I'll ask you this. What do you see here when you consider that passage in Luke 17 with the principle on the board? I'll share my thoughts with you. I see a loving God trying to deliver us from lies. That's what I see. I see a loving God trying to deliver us from lies. Lies that say, you know, everyone deserves a trophy and a pat on the back just for showing up. You don't have to be present, just show up. Everybody deserves a trophy for just showing up. That's a lie. Showing up, being present physically, in other words, isn't the end goal. As we started this morning, being present means much more than just being somewhere in person. Remember this principle. Present but not present. It is entirely possible and sadly very common to be physically present while somewhere else in our heads. That is present but really absent. Children especially sense this. So this is what I see the Spirit teaching us all this morning up here on the board. I see a loving God trying to deliver us from lies. That's why I'm here. I'm just a steward, if you would, of the word. I'm a, uh, an administrator, a, a waiter. It doesn't really matter what you think of the waiter. It matters what you think of the food. I was reading my Bible the other morning and came across such an incredible or an incredibly moving passage of Scripture that really brings us full circle here this morning. Go to Psalm 103, Psalm of David. Psalm 103, 
Psalm 103. This passage, we don't have time, but if you, if you, get, if you really want to uh, be edified, read 104 as well. We don't have time, but 103 is just beautiful. It really is. It's just a wonderful sort of capstone thought, uh, collection, if you would. Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Sounds like a song, doesn't it? That's because it is a song. It's a hymn. Remember, we're supposed to sing spiritual songs and hymns. That's where they come from. Right? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your faith, or excuse me, your youth is renewed like the eagles? The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Before we close this morning, I just want to summarize the big picture message we are being delivered here this morning is consistent with the one we received on Wednesday, which was sanctification is a function of obedience Obedience can be tricky in the sense that religion can protect the lies in us from being exposed. In other words, we can go through the motions and still be well outside of the sanctifying plan of God. Hence this uh, principle up here on the board, an obedient mindset. Our minds must be fixed on obedience as a way of life, not merely a laundry list of check boxes. Yes, there's a difference. The prior is the sphere of sanctification, the latter religion. The practical side of this is up here on the board, present but not present. It is entirely possible and sadly very common to be physically present while somewhere else in your heads that is present but really absent. Children especially sense this. This message is meant to deliver us from lies about what it means to be all in. The litmus test is how we express our love for others. In other words, how we live for others. Up here on the board, the way grace works, we are sanctified when we are gracious toward others. So, may I encourage all of you to take the time to digest what the Spirit's been trying to convey to you from this pulpit. It's wonderful counsel that is meant to set you free. As I said a moment ago, here's my perspective, and I'll close. I see a loving God trying to deliver us from lies. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. 
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word here this morning. Thank you for always making it real. Thank you for never giving us escape clauses or allowing us to act like satanic lawyers, Father. It is what it is. Your word is truth, and that is what sets us free. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to our homes and then out to a world that's dying away, Father. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.